Welcome to the Building the Cooperative Classroom podcast, the official podcast of the Johnson & Johnson Cooperative Learning Institute. Welcome to Building the Cooperative Classroom podcast. This is Adam Rubichuk. This week, Derek Swistak and I talk with Gabe Edgar in part three of our interview. Gabe's going to talk a little bit about his uh, entry into the world of cooperative learning and some of the lessons that he's learned along the way as a practitioner and trainer. So, so University of North Texas is in Denton, uh, which is a city north of Dallas, um, but it's very much a college town. It's it's really the character of the city is defined by University of North Texas and Texas Women's University, um, which together I think have it might be approaching a hundred thousand students together um, in a in a town that's you know a couple hundred thousand. Um, so it's, it's a lot of everything sort of geared around, uh, the colleges or the universities. Um, so I think in 2020, at least those towns just emptied out. And even those students stayed enrolled, if you're doing for all virtual classes, why would you want to pay for student housing, uh, as opposed to just go home and, and do it from your, from your, uh, living room or your bedroom where you grew up in, um, so because of that, I don't know how many of those had face-to-face social interactions because, you know, all their, maybe they had friends that were a year behind in high school or something, but all their other friends may have left town or, you know, it was just a totally different kind of thing. And your, your, your younger siblings or your parents, they're yeah. probably not doing it for you. They don't count, no. Yeah. Certainly not parents. Um, so changing gears a little bit. In addition to your, your classroom instruction, you were also uh, a cooperative learning trainer. So you taught other uh, practitioners how to use cooperative learning. Is that so? So how did how did that evolve? Well, you know, in your in your usage of cooperative learning, when did when did that start? Yeah. So uh, I didn't really talk about how I got onto cooperative learning. Um, when I came to Richland, it was a strong, not quite a requirement, but almost a requirement. Uh, at Richland to um, attend uh, this professional development series, which was labeled as Foundations of Cooperative Learning. Um, And uh, they even had, at that point I was adjuncting, so it was contractual, you know, you get paid per per class, um, but they had a a stipend set aside for adjuncts. So you you could actually get a hundred bucks to go do this professional learning uh, development. I was like, great. I'm, I mean, you know, I want to be a better teacher. Hundred bucks, you know, in 2007, that was uh, a lot of money for me. So I was like, great. I'll spend my Saturday doing that. That's um, like four gallons of gas right now. I know it's nothing anymore, but <laughs> back then it was a lot. Um. So yeah, I, I showed up and I met a woman named Becky Williams, uh, and Mary Askentowski, and uh, several other people that were involved. Um. And I went through it and it just clicked in a way that almost, you know, just shattered my whole idea of, of what teaching could be. It was like, it was so many things that I, I went, oh, that's what I want. Um, that's what I was trying to do. So I, I was, I was just in the perfect place for it to work. Um, and so the next semester I did it again, of course, they don't repeat the stipend, um, but uh, I went back and repeated it. Um, and, and at the end of it, uh, asked Becky, it was like, okay, what's like, what's the advanced, like, I've done this twice, the foundations twice, what's, 
next. And they didn't have an advanced course. Um, oh, and I should also say, so the, the way that we were doing it at Richland um, uh, was that, you know, with the Johnson's program, what was it like 30 hours, 20, 20 something hours? How long was foundations for, for the Johnson's? Um, basically probably four, about 30 hours. Yeah. 34 hours, four days. Yeah. Um, yeah. but what I noticed when I did it with them was, you know, they would do, uh, something about, uh, group processing and then they would do a history lesson to, to show it. So what we did to, to get it down to our foundations lasted 15 hours. We could do it in either four afternoons or two Saturdays. Um, we doubled up. So you would do a jigsaw about positive interdependence um, and and double it up. But what that meant was as people came in and did this, they would have to pay attention, not just to the content they were learning about, but also how they were learning about it and also what we, the facilitators were doing. Um, So that's, it became so layered that that's why a lot of people have done it more, done the foundations uh, with us more than once and why I did it more than once I immediately went oh this is this is complex um, so after I did the foundations the second time uh, I uh, approached Becky and she said oh we don't have an advance but you could become you could help you know you could you could become a facilitator uh, so I just started shadowing for them for I think a year or two uh, and then I think it, the first time I went to Minneapolis was maybe 2009 um and I went and did uh I think I did since I'd been already been facilitating foundations I think I did leadership with um Roger the first time um and of course you know that's just seeing them in action is is also life-changing um but yeah so I I started facilitating uh and I did that at at Richland for uh 12 years um, we shut down for the pandemic and then, uh, thought maybe we could try to do some kind of zoom thing. Um, but then that nothing really happened with it. We're like, oh, we'll, we'll probably be back next semester. <laughs> then we weren't, um, and then Becky retired and I got moved on, uh, or I moved on, uh, Becky retired and I moved on to, uh, to North Texas. Um, so I'm, I'm now looking at starting up, uh, something in at North Texas, uh, probably starting with like a one hour taste of cooperative learning and then um, seeing if I can do a foundations and, uh, you know, try to find eight or nine people to, uh, to get really excited about it. Maybe more. I don't know. It's, it, I think it's hard right now to find people to find, you know, even 15 hours where people want to give up their, their free time um, for something that doesn't, they have to. They have to already see the value in it, and it's hard sometimes to do that because uh, you you get the value of it by experiencing it. Um, so I have to find some people that will take my word for it and come spend two Saturdays, or maybe even just one Saturday with me. When you switch from being just a learner of popular learning to a to a practitioner to a trainer, so what what sort of realizations did you have um, as, as you had to explain these these concepts and these skills to others, and and you had to. Uh, to speak with authority one of the issues that i i sort of had to overcome was i could see how easily it made sense in a a language learning environment um 
but you get do get pushback sometimes from people, especially when people have been asked to come to a training uh, or to a, a session and they don't necessarily, they haven't already bought into it. Some, sometimes you get pushback of, okay, that's great for your subject, but I teach economics and you don't understand about economics and how dense it is and how much material there is. And I have all these chapters in the textbook we have to get through. Um, and so helping people understand the difference between deep learning that I, I've started to use the word sticky um, and, and sticky learning is learning that stays with people uh, for more than one semester, more than one year, um, which it's, it's sometimes it's hard. You can't really assess that at the college level sometimes unless they're a major and you see them semester after semester. Um, but, but asking them to concentrate on that rather than did I cover everything? Um, and so I, I don't, I, I don't know if you guys, I don't know if I got this from the Johnsons or I got it from Becky or for someone else, but um, the joke about, I taught my dog to whistle. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but I did. I, I taught my dog to whistle. I, uh, I made a PowerPoint and I demonstrated whistling and uh, I, I modeled whistle, uh, good whistling technique. My dog still can't whistle, but I taught it to whistle. Um, and, and so that, uh, you know, getting people to that point of it's not about what you do necessarily that matters. It's about what the student comes away with um, and how they are affected long term. Um, and then coming back around to, oh, now it matters what you do because you have to engender, uh, a, you know, a, an environment that they come away with long term sticky learning. Um, and that does, it doesn't always, not, not everybody walks out convinced, but we have, we had a pretty good uh, success rate of making that conversion. And then some people it's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like that's what I've always believed. And, but, but this gives them a, a theoretical uh, uh, a strata to sort of to build that foundation on um, that maybe they didn't have before. Thank you for listening to the Building the Cooperative Classroom podcast, the official podcast of the Johnson & Johnson Cooperative Learning Institute. Please check out the show notes for all relevant links, including a link to our Twitter account and the Cooperative Learning Institute webpage. This podcast is copyrighted under the Creative Commons license, copyright 2022. Theme music, courtesy of Jimmy Ryan.